I'm very much looking forward to coming in May with Don to teach uh, you guys what we call a Grace Life Conference. We're going to be spending three evenings, a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, along with a Saturday morning in May, discovering from God's Word how we are to live the Christian life. Now, that is no small task, to be sure. And as hard as it's going to be to teach everything in those four days, I have a tougher job this morning, trying to summarize everything in the conference in a short half hour this morning. Well, that's not going to be possible, so I thought what I would try to do is lay a foundation to give you a better idea of what to expect at the conference. So to do that, we're going to open up in a word of prayer and invite Jesus to teach us tonight. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of the fact that you have come to provide a relationship with us. And in part of that relationship, Lord, you want to provide power to us that we might experience the abundant life that you promised to us. I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes and you will pre- prepare our hearts to hear a message that how we can experience life as you always intended it to be. I confess my dependence upon you, realizing that if anything is going to be done this morning, it's going to have to be done by you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Someone once asked me why they should come to a Great Life Conference. And that's a very good question because there's no shortage of Christian conferences and seminars, especially related to the topic of how we are to live the Christian life. Not to mention all the books and sermons that have been preached on the subject. I'm sure many of you here have read those books or been to those conferences, hoping that the next one will finally provide the answer to such an important question, only to leave you with another list of things to do, how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to witness, to give, to serve. But unfortunately, the problem with those conferences and books is they don't give you the resources to do all those things. But before we understand where we find those resources or power to live the Christian life, first we have to discover what is the Christian life. Typically, we are taught is engaging in worship and praise, giving thanks for all the good things in life, or winning people to Christ through witnessing, or prayer, or Bible study, or going to church, giving money, serving in the church, things like these. Now, all those things are good, don't get me wrong, but none of that is of what I just listed is what God calls the Christian life. For God doesn't define the Christian life as a list of things for us to do. Instead, He defines it as a person. In John 14:6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or in John 11:25, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice, he doesn't say that he lives the life, but that he is the life. So Jesus is the Christian life, not a list of things to do or ways to act. That means, if we are going to live the Christian life, then we need to determine how Jesus lived when he walked the streets of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately, we usually interpret that to mean us trying to copy Jesus' behavior. Or put another way, imitating what Jesus did. That was the whole idea of the movement a few years back called What Would Jesus Do? or WWJD. You remember the books, the bracelets, the necklaces, the shirts, the letters, all with WWJD on them. The idea behind it was that the, we would read the scriptures and see how Jesus lived when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago and then try and guess how he would live now. So when I'm driving in my car and someone cuts me off, I have to try and figure out how Jesus would respond in this situation. The problem is, Jesus never liked to do the same thing twice. When he healed the blind, sometimes he would touch them, other times he would just say a word, sometimes he would put mud on their eyes, and sometimes even spit in their eyes. Could you imagine someone spitting in your eye? Good thing they were blind, they never saw it coming. 
And so not only do we not have to come up with the power Jesus had, but I also have to somehow get into his head and try and guess how he lived. My grief. That's why all those conferences and books that gives us a list of things to do in order for us to live the Christian life never work. Now, it may seem to work for a while as we dedicate ourselves and we try very hard, but sooner or later we find ourselves struggling and more tired than we were before because we eventually run out of steam. And if it came down to effort and knowledge, then the church would be experiencing much more victory. For I don't believe either in short supply in the church. So why doesn't it work? Well, because we're trying to live like God, and we are not God, and we don't have the resources of God. And by the way, when have we heard this before? Where else have we heard it said, Do this, and you will be like God? Isn't that essentially the lie the serpent said to Eve back in the garden in Genesis 3? Eat of this tree, or, or just do this, and you will be like God. And unfortunately, the church today continues to live out of this lie. And so, in spite of all the effort, good intentions, and study material that we have all around us, the church lacks so much power. No wonder those in the world want nothing to do with us. They just see people spinning their wheels and going nowhere fast. I don't blame them. Now, I will agree with you that Jesus did come to show us how man was intended to live when God first created Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. But the question is not, what did Jesus do? Speaking of behavior. Instead, the question is, how did Jesus do the things he did? Speaking of method. How did Jesus do all those miracles? Of feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, give sight to the blind, heal the lame. Have you ever thought about that? How did he do those miracles? And what about the real miracles? Saying no to temptation. Loving his enemies. Having patience with difficult people who are hard to live with. Having joy in a world of sin. How did Jesus do those things? If we could answer that, then we can understand how Jesus lived. Well, the first answer that typically comes to mind is, well, didn't you know Jesus is God? Now, that's true, but if that's the answer to the question, how did Jesus live when he walked the earth as a man, then that is bad news for you and me. Because we are not God, and we do not have the resources of God. Now, some may say at this point, well, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Rather, he just expects us to try our best, confess our sins, and try again. As long as the effort's there, then it's okay. Well, I'm afraid that's not true. If it was, then Jesus wouldn't have said things like in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect in heaven. Or in John 14.12, Truly, truly, I say unto you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Also Philippians 2.68 tells us that Jesus gave up being God and came to live as a man. So that means Jesus did all those things that we read about in the Gospels, not as God, but as a man. That is why we too can live like Jesus lived, if we can learn how he lived. Because he lived just like a man. He lived as man was intended for him. So how did Jesus live? Well, to discover that, let's turn to some scripture. And let's begin in Acts 2. So turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. 
Now here we find Peter giving one of the very first sermons after Pentecost. And in this sermon, verse 22, look what Peter says. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Now, he could have almost said, listen, people of water, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. Notice how he begins. He doesn't say, Jesus the Nazarene who is God. He says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man. For Jesus lived as a man, was intended, uh, he lived as man was intended to live. And he was approved by God with miracles and wonders and signs. And here's the part I want you to see. Which God performed through him. So according to this verse, who fed the 5,000? Who healed the lame? Who gave the blind sight? It was the Father through a man named Jesus. That means the source of the power to perform those miracles didn't come from Jesus, but from God the Father. Now, to make sure we're not going to try and make an entire theology based on a single verse, let's look at John chapter 14. And here we have Jesus talking to his disciples just hours before he was arrested and crucified. Jesus had spent nearly every day in the, of the past three and a half years with them as he was talking about the Father. When Philip says to Jesus, Please show us the Father. And so in verses 9 and 10, we see Jesus' response. Philip, have I been with you so long? You still don't get it? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. In fact, the words I speak are not on my own, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Now, was Jesus God? Yeah. But when he walked the earth as a man, he lived as God always intended man to live, in total dependence upon God. He made himself available to God as a man in order for God to be God in a man for the first time since the Garden of Eden. And that is what God desires of you and me to get today. This means we need to give up trying to be God and to begin to trust him to be God in us. Now, before we pick up, pick on Philip and the rest of the disciples, we need to remember that we're not that much different. For we have read and studied in the scriptures and we miss this vital truth that God lived his life through the man named Jesus. It was the Father doing his works through Jesus. Instead, we look at the Gospels and mistake Jesus as the source of all that he did. Missing a fundamental truth that Jesus repeated over and over again that we all need to recognize if we ever hope to live the Christian life. Turn back to John chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And turn over a couple chapters to chapter 8 and verse 28. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So what is the truth that Jesus is repeating over and over and over again? Jesus, the man, could do nothing of himself. Instead, he needed to depend upon the Father. Understanding this principle, we can better understand why Satan chose to tempt Jesus the way he did in Matthew 4. 
Satan was trying to get Jesus to depend upon himself and not the Father. Now think about that. Jesus, the first perfect man since Adam, when he was in the garden, the man who knew no sin, he would do nothing of himself. Do you realize that what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to do was depend upon his own resources? Turn that stone into a loaf of bread, Jesus. And if Jesus had listened to that and depended upon his own resources, it would have been sin. If Jesus, being God, but living as man, had depended upon himself as God, it would have been sin. Instead, he continually made the choice to depend upon the Father. And because he did that for his 30 plus years on earth, he was able to be the sacrifice that we required. Let's look at another verse in John 6, verse 57. And here Jesus says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. And that word translated because, could also be translated of, from, and through. That means we could read this verse, Jesus saying, I live of, from, and through the Father. What this means is that Jesus did not live his life for God. He didn't dedicate his life to God. He didn't make God the Lord of his life, nor did he live by the model, do your best and God will do the rest. Instead, he lived as a man was intended to live, in total dependence upon God living in him. I pray that God shows us all the significance and provides the understanding to this important truth. Now, if the first point in today's message is that Jesus could do nothing of himself, but instead chose to allow the Father to live through him, then the second point applies to us and answers the question, how are we to live the Christian life? Or to put it another way, how are we to do the works of God? Well, this is the question that people put to Jesus in John 6, verse 28, right before he answered that verse we just read. And isn't it just like man to put it that way? Just tell me what to do, and then I'll do it. But look how Jesus responded in verse 29. Believe in the one whom God has sent. He said, trust me. Have faith in me. Allow me to live my life through you. It's not what you are going to do, but what I am going to do through you. Jesus didn't give him a formula or a six-step method, which I'm sure they're hoping for. And still he said, trust me. I'll do it. If you let me. Let's go back to John. In chapter 6 and verse 57. And read the rest of the verse. Jesus says, I live because, from, of, and through the Father. So he who eats me, he will also will live because, from, and through me. Just as Jesus could do nothing of himself and chose to depend upon God the Father to live through him, so must we. So the issue, the issue isn't what you do, but who is the one doing it. Jesus must be the source, otherwise it is the flesh. And Romans 8 says the flesh cannot please God, no matter how good looking it may be or what it will produce. If the source is Jesus, it is worth nothing. There are so many verses I could share with you concerning this truth, but let's just look at a few more. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Turn there with your Bibles to Hebrews 13. The writers of Hebrews 13 here, 
he's exhorting the readers to look at the great men of God who no doubt referring to to a few chapters earlier when he's um, when he lists the, the great men and women of faith in Hebrews 11 and he says in light of all those people he says we are to consider the outcome of the way they lived and imitate now watch this imitate their faith he doesn't exhort them to copy what they did but rather to copy how they trusted God to do it. In Colossians 1, 26 and 27, Paul reveals to us the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. So those in the Old Testament didn't fully understand this mystery that Paul's about to reveal, but has been now been manifested to his saints, to whom God has willed to make known what is the riches of his glory and this mystery among the Gentiles. So God's revealed to us His church with this great mystery of the ages is. And here it is. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the missing key. It's the only hope we ever have of bringing glory to God. It's not through what, what we do for Him, but Jesus living through us. What Jesus will do through us. So put in other words, we will never live for Jesus until we, until we first learn how to live from Jesus. We must learn to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to live in and through us. So it is no longer I but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live now in this body, I live by faith. Trusting in Him. The Son of God who delivered Himself up for me. So how do we apply this? Well, the principle is simple and easy to remember. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Therefore, we need to depend upon Jesus for everything to be the source. As He lives His life through us, He needs to be the source of love because your love isn't enough. I don't care who you are. He needs to be the source of your patience because your patience isn't enough. He needs to be your wisdom because your wisdom isn't enough. Now, the concept is simple, but the implementation of this principle is not so easy. Because we are so fantastically created and on the surface it would appear that we can do so much. But if you we were to add it all up, it would equal to nothing. And so we need to consciously make the choice to trust Jesus. Whether we are loving a spouse, working, or driving a car. If we would learn and apply this principle, the church would begin to experience the power of Jesus. And we would be able to begin to do the greater works that Jesus talked about. Father, I pray that you'll open our eyes that we might see this truth. Amen. If God has opened your eyes today, just a little, or, or maybe shown to you that maybe there's something that you're missing here, and you want to learn more about how we might let Christ live His life through you, then I recommend that you pray about coming to a Grace Life Conference, the one that's held this May. Talk to Pastor Kurt about it and he will let you know all the details. But it will be a time where we can discover how we can begin to experience the limitless power of Jesus Christ living in you. I hope to, all, I hope to see you all there. And thanks for having me today.